Welcome to Beyond. We have an incredible guest today, Robin Topp, who's the chairman and CEO of the Topp Group, an author, inspirational speaker, busy executive, and active for nonprofit volunteer, a results-driven leader and change agent. Robin's passion about building game-changing management teams, diversity, and recruiting women and minorities into top roles in life sciences. She lives with her golden, uh, sorry, her Labrador retriever. Four, three of them, right? Three Labrador retrievers. Sorry, three Labrador retrievers in the beautiful city of San Diego. Um, she also wrote an incredible book called We Can. It's part manual, part memoir. It provides a confidence language and tools to design and realize the career of your dreams. Land the job, make the vertical moves, and secure a seat at the boardroom table with Robin Toff, We Can. Robin, thanks for so, so much for coming on. I appreciate it. Hi, Ben. It. Great to be here. Yeah. So um, you really have an amazing story because it really is an interesting route in life sciences, biotech firms, and eventually you had your own, I wouldn't say headhunting firm, but really management talent selection firm um, that's really just gone off the charts. So before we get into that, um, you, you have such an interesting, unique career. Take us back to your early life. Um, can you share with us some stories of how your journey got started? Absolutely. So I had... I was born in Detroit okay. to working class parents who got married at the ages of 18 and 20 and had three kids by the time they were 25. No college. So it was fascinating. My dad worked in the factories at night and um, it's amazing that we actually, that I ended up having the career of my dreams. So I'm super happy to say that everything I wrote down as a child when I used to look up at the clouds and lie on the front grass actually happened but I think it's largely because he told me to believe in myself and that I could do anything. And if you can give one gift to a child, that's the best gift ever. Um, flash forward, I've actually had three chapters in my career. The first one was 10 years of working in a clinical reference lab, doing what everyone else wanted me to do. Mm -hmm. And the second 10 was in sales. I was naturally good at it, but it wasn't my passion or my love. And the third is my passion project, running the executive search firm that you mentioned. Wow. So let me go back to your parents and, and their sort of that experience, right? In Detroit, three kids at 25 without a college education, working in the factories. Um, and obviously your dad and your mom really wanted you guys to probably do better than they did. I mean, that's the whole idea, generationally pass it forward. Um, and you laid out there under the sky and dream of what? Oh my gosh. What I, were the goals? I, wrote, I, mean, what? I wrote a list. I really wanted to live on the West Coast and you know, I, I aspired to just this beautiful view that we see out the window here and this ability to probably run a company. I didn't put the words against it as a child, but I wanted to work with amazing people and do something really important. I read a book when I was 16 that was called Do What You Love and the Money Will Follow, mm. and I somehow just believed that was possible, right? It was just can do. I had a lot of really great um, mentors in my family. Mm. So my dad's little brother was an entrepreneurial CEO many times over and uh, he, so much so that when he was like 26, he bought a marina and I used to go pump gas for him. So he taught me, you know, you can create a company, you can do a lot of things. And he was a CEO throughout his life. I had a female um, executive in my family, my aunt, mm -hmm. who actually was an academic wildly successful. She taught me it's all right to not have children and to actually be an aspiring female executive, which back in that day was very unusual. So That's heresy. I mean, heresy. you know, what beautiful <laughs> wisdom to speak into your life. Because I, I totally agree with that. I mean, the idea of having children isn't always the best idea. Um, so I admire that. I admire, you know, that, that sp sort of word into your life because it really 
shaped what everybody's experiencing from your great work today. Yeah, it's, it was one of those things that made me very anxious because I felt that my mother at the time, going back to my parents, had, didn't have a lot of financial freedom or the ability to make her own choices. Mm -hmm. So I think it's really important to be very thoughtful about those things. and What were the influences that made you think that, hey, my mom doesn't have choices and I want choices? Was it your education. relatives? So education. you got more educated. Oops. So, okay. so I think, you know, being from Detroit and also having been a, a, a world traveler throughout my life, I know that education's the difference mm -hmm. um, between how hard you have to struggle in the end. And if you can just get that education, that's great. Um, curiously, my dad, who's my biggest influencer on the positive side, also felt women shouldn't go to college. So my mom and I pieced together uh, enough money for me to go to college. So she would work at her administrative assistant job, and I would work during the summer waitressing. Wow. And we'd put our money together so that I could get a college education. Turns out I was really smart. Yeah. <laughs> so it worked. Well, it sounds like the genetics in your, in your line of family, and you got very successful people. So yes. you had that gift. So as you go on this journey, what are some of the things you learned the hard way? Yeah, the hardest thing for me, and I coach a lot of women about this, is this overachievement, overworking um, freak person, this inner freak, crazy, intense dr drive. I call it the dark side of drive, and I speak about it in my book. So what I see a lot of women doing is overworking and outperforming everyone around them and working themselves into the ground, and then they do that at home as well, and then they come back to work and do it again, and then they get really frustrated, they pound their fist on the desk and say, I need more money and they're practically melted down. And I actually did that myself my first year in sales where mm -hmm. I didn't realize um, what it felt like to have an unlimited job and that the more you earn, the more you make. So I just, it was my first year in sales, overachieved like crazy. At the end of that first year, I went in to see my boss who sent me the CEO and I said, I need to resign because I'm completely exhausted. And they knew I was the top performer in the whole company out of 400 people in my first year in sales, so they wouldn't let me. They said, just come to the award ceremony. I won every award. And then I had to learn how to pace myself. And it's still a big struggle today, how to pace myself, how to build in um, thinking time and strategy time and time out in nature with my dogs. You know, it's funny. Um, I remember there was this thing called the Eco Challenge. And I was with Guidant at the time. They just acquired CTS, Cardiothoracic Systems. And they had, because, you know, you're bringing in a bunch of hunter killers from a startup and you're trying to integrate the companies. And so they're trying to talk about balance in a new culture. And this guy had a sort of a, a, a graph of a lines going up and undulating down, up and down. And the idea was there's points in your day or in your time where you're going to peak perform. And there's other times you really have to be thoughtful about I'm doing nothing but chilling. And then you come back up that curve to peak perform. And he said in the eco challenge, and this is interesting, the Navy SEALs went and joined this challenge. And the one group that didn't finish was the Navy SEALs. Because their mentality was hunter kill. Intensity we, all we're the gonna, time. We're not going to stop. And what happened is people would, they would, they would climb, they'd go across icy rivers, whatever. Mm -hmm. And then they would sleep at night. And then they'd get you know, replenished and then do it again. The Navy SEALs were like, nope, we're just going through the whole thing at once. I understand. And they didn't finish it. Yeah. Completely get it, and I absolutely advocate, you know, men are better at this because men have been in industry longer than, than women have in these big executive level roles, but they're quite much better at balance is my experience with men. So they actually probably spend 75, and this is what I advocate in my book, spend 75% of your time on your job and 25% of your time strategy and planning. You're the CEO of you, you should be having thinking time on your calendar and relaxing time. 
and women, this overachievement freak. Um, I think, I don't know if you've seen this TED talk by the woman that, um, that ran Girls Who Code, the CEO of Girls Who Code, and it says women are raised to be perfect, girls are raised to be perfect, boys are raised to be brave. So mm -hmm. men are fearless about that and the way to behave, and women are overachieving for perfection, and that is a bad recipe. And that's a bad, and it's a lot of pressure. It's women. so bad. You know, I remember listening to Mehmet Oz on Oprah a long time ago, and he had this really good analogy since we're in the med, med life and, yeah. and medical device. He said, you know, if you look at the heart, the heart feeds itself before it feeds the whole body, right? It first feeds itself to have the energy to have that pump and kick to get flow going around the body. He goes, the problem with women is they feed everybody else first. Yes. The kids, the job, everybody else Exhaust gets taken care of themselves. first before they take care of themselves. And his simple point was, take care of yourself first, then take care of everybody else. Because yeah. you can't do it unless you take care of yourself. That's so truthful. And you know, in reality, that's in the book, I tried to really be specific around the things that you can change to have a better life. Because I think you, know, you are the CEO of you and you control this, Absolutely. this Absolutely. overachievement. So um, can you take us or talk to us about some of the lessons you've taken from your early life experiences and how you applied in business? So I think fearlessness is the number one um, learning. So I was a water skier back then. Um, I aspired to be like my uncle, who was the serial entrepreneur, who was also an amazing professional water skier. So he taught me how to do crazy things on water skis, jump off ramps and ski backwards and do tricks back before you know, wakeboarding was all the rage. Very nice. And so this whole you know, having some experience that builds your confidence where you realize that you can be exceptionally good at something. And I'm really thrilled to see a lot of women playing sports these days. But what, whoever you are as a person, having confidence, competence, and connections are, is the secret to a really successful career. Um, my definition of competence is accomplishments. So uh, back to the early days. Um, so fearlessness, I would say this, this concept of um, do what you love and money will follow was implanted early. And I really have been pursuing that my whole life. Hmm. That's I like that. That confidence, confidence, and and connections. Connections is those so, are the so three true. magics. Yeah, yeah. And the it's a good recipe. That's yeah. a book. It is. That could be your second book. Yeah, it's it's critically important. I actually speak about that a lot. The three C's. Um, the one in the middle is the least uh, intuitive because to me, competence is accomplishments and actually being able to record value that you created for your employer. Right. So once you have that, that competence then you can actually uh, command a better job. Absolutely. So you're very successful. You've done a lot of amazing things. You come from an amazing uh, background. You've written a book. What is the biggest hurdle you've ever had to overcome in your life? Well, I had um, kind of two significant events in one year, and it was the year 2006. It was a, a crazy year. I was traveling every two weeks to Europe on my big executive job. I was a senior vice president for Roche, which is a big global therapeutics company. And I thought I had everything under control. I got sick on a plane, ended up in the ER when I got back, and I had colon cancer with an obstruction mm. at the age of 45. Never dreamed it would happen to me. It's not in my family. And it was a shock. And I call it now internalized stress. Um, I think that if anyone's having a life-threatening um, illness and they, they need to take a look at this and say, if I had a life-threatening illness, would I quit my job? My answer was definitively yes, so I did. So I quit my job. I decided I was going to start an executive search firm. And less than one year later, as I'm into my entrepreneurial era, um, I was going to change the way cancer is treated in my lifetime, which is why I was doing that. 
uh, my house burned down with everything in it. Oh I had goodness. taken a much needed vacation. I was overseas of all things and I got a text, are you guys okay in the fire? And um, I wasn't even here. So was this down in Southern California? Southern California, 2007 yeah. wildfires. And I think 1,800 homes burned. Uh, a lot of people share this experience with me in California now. But um, fortunately, my parents were with my dogs house-sitting. And mm -hmm. they got the dogs out of the house. But everything else went down. Everything. And so I missed the entire experience. I mean, I know it's very stressful in Southern California when these fires happen. I don't think my parents will ever come back to California. They just had such a bad oh, experience when their daughter's house So you're in down. Europe, and then you had to yeah. get right back on a plane. Oh, yeah. And... Came right home. Um, people were fascinated because I had said goodbye to all my clients. I was actually on my way to Antarctica, of all places, <laughs> like a life trip. And five minutes later, I was back. And I, I didn't necessarily tell my clients why I was back, but I had nothing. I had cold weather clothes that were in my suitcase. And... Um, but it's fortunate because... And all your memories and everything that goes everything. into that. What's it like to lose a house with everything in it? I mean, emotionally, you, you probably are going through the stages, but when you're on the plane, there's a lot of adrenaline going. But once yeah. you, the, you know, the, the dust settles, if you will, what, what's that like emotionally to go through that? So for me, it was really kind of easy because I already knew that life wasn't about the stuff when I had cancer. Uh, when you have cancer and everyone shows up and the people surround you and all the love pours at you, you know that life is about relationships. It's not about stuff. So I was already really centered in that and I'm a huge survivor mindset person. So I always wondered you know, if I had cancer, would I be a survivor or a victim? Of course, a survivor. I mean, you have no choice. If it's you, you just fight like crazy, right? right? So with that, when the fire happened, um, it was okay because I just doubled down on my job, which is building a relationship business, and I just leveraged all those relationships around me to really lift myself. Um, but I would tell you that my husband really struggled with it mm. because um, he is a photographer or was oh, a photographer, and losing gone. all your memories yeah. um, when that's your profession as well was really dire. And that was the era right before digital yeah, before um, digitization of the cloud and all that. So store your memories in a really safe place. Um, because anyone who is in a fire, the number one thing that you miss is those photographs and memories, right. the, um, things that your children made you. So I get that you're a tough woman and I get that you're a can-do and <clears throat> just through your experiences in life, you, you probably look at things glass half full and okay, there's a challenge, let's go through it. But for the rest of us in the audience, and for the rest of people that comes across cancer or losing your house, how are you able to maintain a calm perspective given the uncertainty of your circumstances? I know you're building a business, but yeah. there's still tremendous uncertainty with cancer, lose your house. How are you able to maintain, is it a spiritual place you go Such to? Such a great question, Ben. Love this question. I don't know why it takes most people so long to learn this, but we're not in charge of the universe. We're just not. And um, I learned that. It took me until I was 45 to really know that. I mean, we may have religion, spirituality, we might you know, um, subscribe to a lot of things, but seriously, when something unforeseen happens and you really don't have control over it and you know that your only job is to respond in the best way possible, that doesn't you know, take away the need for you to you know, commit and do your absolute very best at all times. But um, we're not in charge of the universe. And so things will happen all the time. And I think just kind of fostering a mind share of now my only job is to respond and not worrying about the past or the future because you can't control either one of them, right? This is all beyond your control. The only thing you can do is show up in this very moment and react in the best way possible. And be the best you, you can the, be. The best you, you can be. You just show up and you do your best. And people around you will 
you know, resonate if you've had a tough experience. But I also look around me everywhere and think everybody else is having really tough experiences too. Right. Right. Yeah, I agree. And there, there will be probably no less than 10 in everyone's lifetime that are really severely challenging. Yeah. So I don't consider them um, challenges. I consider them opportunities for learning. Right. So we should also say this. Every single thing that happens to you is a growth opportunity. And what I say is, what am I supposed to learn from this? Yeah. So we're not in charge. OK, something happens. What, am I, what can I take away? And how can I you know, thrive with this new piece of information that I've been given about a new challenge? No, that's, that's very important. Um, you know, Because like a lot of people, you, know, you have a very healthy perspective. And you had to have some dingers come along where it sort of honed that perspective. But I think a lot of people. Um, go to other vices and other ways to deal with it. So what you're saying is a very healthy perspective and the idea that we're in control of anything, really. And I think we have a society built on the individual and it's all about you and you can do anything you want is not true. You can do anything that you're gifted to do. Yeah, yes, right? and, and appreciate your gifts. And appreciate, yeah, appreciate your gifts. Appreciate your gifts. Yeah. I think I was born with a lot of gifts. I was born in the right country. I was smart. I was, I think being a woman is a gift, right? I mean, there's so many things I think are gifts. And I just want to maximize those things. And so don't be a victim, I guess, is my other And women can multitask much better than men. Let's be honest. I mean, that's, that's a no-brainer, right? Sometimes they can. Yeah, not always. Not as a I think general, they also but... head into conflict a little more easily, yeah. too, because yeah. they don't take an ego position. But that's right. why I have a lot of women working for me in my search firm. Yeah, that yeah. makes a lot of sense. So after two decades of a very successful biotech executive career, and you talked about you had this life-changing event that says, okay, enough. Um, what was the motivation to switch paths professionally to go into executive search? Yeah. You mentioned it was a passion project. I mean, walk us through that motivation that you said, okay, I have cancer, lost my house. This is the next venture. And there was no revenue coming in. This was a sort of a faith step, a journey. You know? Thanks for knowing that. Right? Yeah. <laughs> it's not like, oh, hey, Robin, here's money. Here's, here's the keys to the car and make it more successful. You're taking something from nothing and, and, and again, coming off cancer, losing your house, and having a mental fortitude to create this incredible, successful organization. Yeah, some, some of the learnings that I have learned and put together in a formulaic way in, in the book, We Can, are um, you know, don't spend your life doing what other people expect of you. Number one. So as I said, I was Amen working. Yeah, I was working in the clinical reference lab. I should have been a doctor, but I didn't want to be. I knew I had a greater purpose than that. But I knew immediately that that was not what I was going to. So I raised my hand. I said, I'd rather talk about this than do it. Right. So I was really great at sales, but I didn't love it. <laughs> I was naturally wired for it. So what I did was I put those those loves together. So and there's this way of mapping your career and identifying the things that you're good at and the things that you love to do and trying to figure out how do I make money at what I would really love to do, right? And so intriguingly, when I was doing that exercise with myself years ago, I realized that I can talk about science and find people great jobs. I don't have to physically do the jobs. And executive search is 100 million percent sales all day long. So I can just you're tired, sell. You're combining the two I things can you're put really good people at. in the yeah. right seats. I can get all this done. I can make a bigger difference, which was a big impetus of uh, post-cancer era. Oftentimes, you get that that um, spark from something really serious that happens. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I can I can leverage this across so many more people than just myself doing one particular job. So to me, I knew three years before I wanted to do it that I should do it, but I got sucked back into the big corporate executive job. And then the universe messaged me and said, 
now you will stop and you should do what you were, wanted to do to right. begin with, right? So I think you know, having the wherewithal to figure out the pattern of what you're good at and what your passion is and trying to marry them into something that actually is a substantial exercise, it was very scary. It took some guts and some moxie, quite yeah. frankly. I mean, very it's not scary. easy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, startups, you know, it's funny, I've been in big companies and it's a very comfortable environment, 401k, you make your money, maybe make a bonus, maybe the stock goes up like at AdWords and things are good and that's good. But to go, the idea of going into a startup and starting it from nothing and bringing it to where you brought it is very inspirational and it speaks volumes about who you are, your character, your intelligence on many levels. So all that aside, what were some of the risks you took in founding the top group? So uh -oh, first shutter. of all, yeah, <laughs> stepping off the executive career was very stressful. Uh, you know, right. these executive roles are very. Um, there's a lot of safety, mm -hmm. as you say. Um, this is a high risk, high reward potential venture. I didn't know, and I'm glad I didn't know that uh, only that 88% of female-led companies never get over 100,000 in revenue, and only 3% of female-led companies ever hit a million. Oh my gosh, well, we're heading towards 10 million this year in revenue from a service-providing sure company. Outlier. Yeah, it, it's fascinating, I'm glad. I wanna have a license plate that says I'm one of the 3%, right? The 3%er. It's, but, but that's a sad statement because the other 97% of companies that earn over a million are male-run, and that's fine. I mean, but we have a long way to go as executive women in business. So I didn't know that. I, I didn't know um, that one of the harder things is hiring people and encouraging them to come over and not knowing if I could feed them or pay them you know, over the course of time. Um, so this is a great business because it's largely commission driven, so, but yet people had to take a risk and come with me. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I didn't know anything about executive search. I really was a complete novice, but what I said is I'm just gonna create a very different executive search from everyone hates headhunters, so mine's gonna be different. Um, we put a giant mission in the middle, so I'm a, a mission-driven, people-first company. Yeah. I learned it in biotech. I like to say we built it like biotech. Giant mission in the middle, mine is changing the future of medicine one relationship at a time. Mm -hmm. And I hired amazing people around the table. I pay them exceptionally well. I trust them. I empower them. And the rest is magic. You know, it's interesting. Of all the entrepreneurs I have on this show, they all say the same thing. I started this venture. I had no idea what I was doing when I started the venture and they're all radically successful. And I sort of think about corporate America, and you're trying to land people in jobs, and what they look for, big companies or whatnot, is they want specialized experience and track record. And to me, that may be an answer, or maybe not, because sometimes you can bring the person in that hasn't had direct experience in a role, but has tremendous insight, passion, knowledge, experience, judgment, just like a Trump, right, comes into DC with a wrecking ball, you can come in and create some unique dynamics that maybe is good for an organization. I've always looked at it like, okay, you can have the same cookie cutter, and I got an executive, and that he or she foots the bill, and they fit, fit these you know, square boxes or round pegs, whatever, but to me, it's like what you just said. I didn't know what I was doing necessarily, but I had the brains, the smarts, yeah. the passion. I had experienced the service, and I wanted to do something completely contrary to what it was. But why don't, why don't companies like an Edwards or Medtronic or wherever you, you, you facilitate have a similar view of executives who are trying to bring in critical roles? Like, think outside the box and bring someone in that maybe isn't cold that way, like they know it, but they have this different experience that could totally infuse a different. You know, Ben, today they are. So this is what's really fascinating. We have a talent crisis for the next five to 10 years, mm. and there simply are not enough people to go around. 
And so basically everyone's having an opportunity to play now and companies are getting out more out of the box on what they're doing. But I think what you're referring to is a stage of company thing. Okay. As a company gets mature, the, the jobs get more and more and more narrow and very specific, right? Very siloed. But, but right now today, they really are going out of the box and trying to get people that understand um, kind of the next generation of, of products. So for instance, um, someone that understands consumer-facing data and all that is, is all the rage. And mm -hmm. you know, um, the middle-aged white guys that have been doing this for you know, 30 years, they don't know this new cutting edge out of the boxness. Right. So they are all telling me they want people from Google and Amazon and you know all these, and, I, and we're thinking to ourselves, they don't know anything about life sciences. But and yeah, I hear you, that's a good right, thing. Right, it's a good thing. They, they, so they've they, come in there and... It's happening, yeah, yeah they're, they're awesome. think, they think different. So yeah. people who think different are getting their, their day. And to me that relates to diversity in your book. It's not only yeah. diversity of ethnicity, but it's diversity, diversity of thoughts. Around and experiences, table. and yeah, I think that's... Diversity, on a boardroom table and around an executive team creates better financial performance and innovation, yeah, right? Because you have different people speaking around the table. And some CEOs will tell you, I don't like it because it's harder to manage because all these people are coming at me with different perspectives. Yeah. But smart CEOs are having a lot of diversity around the table. Do you find CEOs, um, do you find that they're flexible or does sometimes your ego get in the way? Because you know, what I found is some guys know a lot and they're not willing to listen to anything else. They kind of got their paradigm, their view, their experience, and they're missing out on a lot of good stuff because that ego will get in the way. Yeah, it's growth-minded versus fixed-mindedness, right. right? So I worked for a fixed-minded CEO once. It was actually my very first entrepreneurial experience, and I had to resign after a year because he couldn't listen to anyone around the table. There was a revolving door of executives, and he wanted all yes-men and he was over controlling the whole thing. So this is a and really that's bad, that's a crazy it's a really company. bad thing yeah. that's, that entrepreneurs don't know when to hand over their company to the next gen CEO. Um, I vowed to myself I would never do that and I actually in fact just handed my company over to my successor. But you can't over control a company and that's a big risk of, of an on, entrepreneur. And right. hiring amazing people and not letting them speak is not a good recipe, right? And also, you know, I also recently learned that 65% of people in the US are fixed-minded people, which means they think they know everything when they were born, right? I believe <laughs> and their whole job is just to act smart. Yeah. Yeah, and then you see a lot of that sometimes <laughs> and then the, the CEOs you really one or the other 35 percent uh, yeah. who believe they can learn from everyone around the table right, right? More, more so that's that's the definition of good leadership and and we have on rare occasion hired a fixed-minded person and realized they don't fit to the culture right. um, we are all growth-minded in my company so you're saying 70 percent of people in the u.s 65 percent fixed-minded people I'm surprised yeah and that yeah. yeah they are so to them feedback feels like a knife to the back to a growth-minded person, feedback feels like, thank you very much, I can't wait to but put you know, that into action. But 65% is very, very good for, for politicians. <laughs> right? It's very, very good. Right? It is. Good point. We need that fixed-minded so good we don't point. think outside the box. That's so, right. Um, so then when, let's talk about We Can. That's a pretty cool book. Uh, I had a chance to read we it. We Can. We Can, yeah. <laughs> Didn't bring um, the, the book, but... But we'll, we'll put a cover on the, on the show fantastic. so we can see it. Um, what is the most significant reason you wrote the book, We Can? So I did a radio interview for BizTalk Radio um, in 2017, and it was so exciting that I couldn't let the guy get a word in edgewise. And I got done with the interview, and um, my now CEO, Ron Giannotti, who you also know, 
listened to it a number of times and said, you just brought everyone right to the edge of what should I do? And then you didn't tell them what to do. And I said, are you suggesting to me that I need to write a book? And, and the answer was yes. So I wanted to put in place a practical guide. I've, I was a teacher. I actually taught university way back when and I probably should have become a teacher, but there was a lot more money on the, on the sales track. Sure. So I just like to um, crystallize and put into real practical guidance what it is I know. I think there are a lot of women who made it through the School of Hard Knocks and a lot of men. Um, and no one has time to slow down and write it down, particularly executive women, because they're so overdeployed and so you know overachieving. Mm -hmm. um, so I think just kind of capturing that. Men read my book, um, CEOs. It's actually on the top 100 CEO book list right now, which is shocking. Yeah. Uh, they're with some really amazing authors. And what they will say is, this is not just for women. And I say, I know, but I needed to give them the rules because they're not like slowing down enough to learn it from their peers and mentors along the way that they need. Maybe they can read it at night before they go to bed as a, as a handbook. Yeah. So, so um, what do you hope people gain from reading it? Are there like three key messages? Are there, is there something salient that... Yeah. So, so back to our three Cs, confidence, competence, and connections are the secret to life. Uh, create value, ask for opportunity, and your whole job is to create value for your employer. But when you do that, you have leverage and you can ask for advancement. Great and just teaching someone how to do that is um, formulaic and important and be fearless. No, that's, that's huge. So you've blazed some pretty amazing trails as a woman, um, very successful entrepreneur, business person. Um, what do you wish that 15-year-old you would have known then? Um, if you were to go back to your 15-year-old self based on everything you've gone through. Yeah, I mean, I would definitely say slow down and enjoy the ride and actually look around you a lot. And then I would say there's another really important learning that I had probably when I was about 30. It was like halfway through this whole thing. And, and it was like internal customers are really, really important. The people you work around and with every single day. And if you treat them with kindness and joy and you emanate goodwill every single day, that's so much more than overachieving oh, yeah. and, and just thinking about yourself. So just give away whatever it is that you want and that just works like a charm. I remember having a really great gal that worked in um, customer solutions area and she, she was that and I looked at that and you remember you can learn from everyone around you. Whatever you need to and aspire to do has been done so just you know, use that person as your mentor. But I thought that's, that's really amazing to me. Well, you can learn from the, the, the great people and you can learn from the not so great people. And yeah. I've, I can think of the not so great people and those have been some of the best lessons. It's like, why are people so grinchy? I mean, what? I know, like, just show up you, and be you, happy. You have health, life is yeah. good. If you show up at your company yeah. and you're the one who's just giving out the happy, everybody wants to be around you. And yeah. just, it makes you, you don't have to be perfect at your job. Yeah. You can no, be so much less than perfect. It's great yeah. leadership. Yeah. Because people aren't going to work in four walls just to be depressed or no. pressured. They want to be inspired. They want to do the next big thing, right? Right. Just yeah. lift everyone up, and then, then they will do greatness for you, right? 100%. We'll look at your organization, 100%. So what advice, though, would you give for somebody who is stuck in a job or has lost their job or is full of uncertainty, doesn't know how to get their bearing strength? Because there's people that are in between. They lost their job. They're stuck. They're miserable. What I talk you? to those people every day. That's my... And, and it's actually core philosophy. So you're a therapist as yeah, well. It is. It's a, we are um, career therapists over here. Sure. So it's core philosophy at our company that we spend a lot of time with people in their moment of need when they have nothing. And that's completely contrary to all other executive search firms who are only going to call you when you're perfect for the job. We are going to spend time with people. So I can tell you I have a lot of experience doing this. Um, what I would say is that it starts with your history of work. 
like what you've done. And even if you're early in your career and you've been, I was like a dental assistant and a waitress, um, you need to list those jobs you've had and then the value you've created to the far right, the accomplishments that you did and the value created. Not a list of tasks, but like what did you do for that employer? And it could be as simple as I made everyone in the office feel great every single day. You know, but you're gonna list some accomplishments and achievements and you're gonna map your career and you're gonna take a look at that and say, what is my strength? And then you're gonna create a North Star, which is your passion. You know, this is what I'd really love to be doing if I could, if I could get paid for it, mm -hmm. right? And everybody usually has that thing. And then you have to find a way to marry those two things in the middle. Like I married my science and my sales into executive search. You need to find what is your North Star, and then you need to start, you need to map forward and just list all the steps that you will take. This, this career mapping exercise is in the book, and there's a really nice formulaic way of looking at it. Mm -hmm. And you really need to do that because I can't help you without you taking a really hard look at yourself. And what Career you therapy, yeah. yeah. And what you want and where you want to go. Is that true of somebody in their 50s? Because you know, part of you get some of this age discrimination. It, I would imagine that's also helpful because I've met a lot of people that get bounced from a job for whatever reason. Okay, I'm going to say it's, something like that please. sounds crazy. <laughs> Discrimination is over. We don't have enough people to do all the jobs for the next five to 10 years, period. This is the most joyful time I've ever seen in industry. And this, I think it goes across all industries. It certainly has hit uh, biotech really, really hard. Unprecedented investment in 2017 and 2018 into our industries and a lot of industries. The economy is booming. Baby boomers are retiring. The generation behind us is smaller, Gen X. And Gen Y, in our particular instance, it takes 15, 20 years to become a biotech executive. They're not ready. So for the first time ever, companies are there's looking at this going, there's a huge yeah. talent gap. There is a crisis, and it's going to be, I think, $8.5 trillion in, uh, over the next five years and, and $8.5 million people deficit if we keep up at this pace, right? And that's a lot of ifs. But I will suggest to you that right now, there are simply not enough people. Every search is incredibly difficult, and all HR departments are struggling to find people. So all bets are off. So what we say is age discrimination is not okay anymore. Like, you need everyone. You need those people. Those are the seasoning to teach the others. Right. And, oh, by the way, women and millennials are the secret to the talent crisis, which is why I do what I do. You might think I'm just a big champion for women because I've been successful. My whole thing is getting the products to market and changing the way healthcare is treated in my lifetime. Mm -hmm. The way to do that is women and millennials need to rise up quickly. Um, so let's just do the, the map of what happens in our industry and a lot of industries, but in ours. 52% women enter the workforce um, at, with PhDs and masters and 48% men in biotech companies. By the time you get to the C-band, the, C, the um, chief level mm -hmm. and SVPs, 20% at the top is 3%. So the whole differential is women. If we can accelerate women and lift them up by changing promotional criteria, giving women confidence, women taking control of their own career and doing the right things, then we can fill in behind them with less sophisticated people. But the problem is there aren't enough women at the top in these companies. It should be 50-50. I mean, we are half the population. So I mean, is, it, is it just a matter of gender equity in that regard? Or is it a matter we don't have the women with the experience to take on those jobs? Yeah, so there's a combination effect. So um, for the first time ever, we have to develop people. There have to be career development programs. We're actually taking it upon ourselves. We have a program called We Can, WeCan.Works, where we're actually gonna develop women too. But companies need to send their people, their high potentials, and there's a lot of programs specifically for women. I'm on Lead San Diego. We have an advanced program just for women. Mm -hmm. So there's, it's a combined effect, Ben, to, to your point. 
Um, but, but mainly with women, it is confidence. Mm. There you, so again, confidence, confidence, gonna, confidence to apply, the competence to compete, and the connections to win, right? right. Like the, that formulaic thing, if you're not even playing, you don't get to win. Um, if you are away from the workforce for a minute, this is the time to come back. Everybody back wants in. you. Yeah. Everybody wants women. The reason my search firm is as popular as it is is because we centered around diversity early. Mm -hmm. I bet on two things, fast and female, and both of them flash forward 10 years are really important. Search is moving fast because everybody has five or 10 offers. Mm -hmm. So trust me when I say there is opportunity out there for everyone. Have the confidence, read the book, figure out how you're going to play this game. Get yourself mentors and coaches and in a commitment because just sitting around as a, um, that everyone's discriminating against me is not okay anymore. It's not a strategy. It's not happening. A pity party of one is not a strategy. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's not happening. I would agree. Where do you see yourself in the next uh, five years? So my next five, 10 years is developing women and millennials as quickly as I possibly can to make the biggest difference. So I think um, motivational speaking, which is something that I really thought I would be way back when I was a little kid. I don't know how or why. Um, and I, I have another book in me. And then the next book is about all the challenges that executives face, executive women specifically, that they're not anticipating. So we might all be on the rise and just planning our whole great success story. And you get up here and keeping oxygen at the top is quite hard. Oh, yeah. You know, and these are things that men have struggled with for years, but women are so unfamiliar with, right? Like, so for instance, what if your spouse doesn't support you in your, in your newfound fame, right? Um, there's a lot of societal norms against women being uber successful and their men taking care of these kids, mm -hmm. right? And there's a lot of things that happen to women. And we just need to navigate through. Yeah, we need to talk about it because it's um, as equally as important as climbing the ladder is staying at the top. Right. So with the top group, you mentioned you had a transition in, in the top level of the organization. You're now the chairman? Yeah, I'm the chairman and founder. Okay. And so I brought in my successor a year and a half before I actually had the courage to hand over the reins. Um, but there was a certain point in time, uh, we were about six and a half million in revenue where I was a bottleneck. I was just like flattening myself out. And I was like, why can't I do more in my overachievement freak person way? <laughs> and then I realized, oh, perhaps I'm the one that's causing the, the bottleneck. Right. So I brought in, um, uh, who is now my CEO, Ron. And uh, he just did a remarkable job. The first year there, scaled dramatically. Just sharing the load about you know, leading and managing all these people. Um, services is hard, and it has to do with managing and lifting and inspiring a lot of people every day. I often say CEOs have three jobs, and this is it. Make sure the money has the financial resource, uh, make sure the company has financial resource, raise the money, right? right? Two, hire the people. Three, inspire the people. Right. And Ron is really good at inspiring the people and lifting them up and yeah. keeping them going. Yeah, props out to Ron. He gave me my break in medical devices, so he's a great right? guy. And he was a great mentor back in the day, and he took a, he took a you know, bet on me. And, and he and believes in executive it. women and wanted yeah. me to write a book for them. Yeah, right? no, he's, he, across the board, he just has uh, some insight and perspective that's uh, very valuable. So in all your experience, um, what are one or two pearls of wisdom that you can provide the audience that if they did that one or two things, it could change, transform their personal and professional life? Ooh, I'm going to tell you, we haven't even spoken about this yet. So my success in sales was an absolute and direct result of the first guy I worked for who was my best mentor ever who taught me the three reasons rule. And the three reasons rule goes like this. So typically when you're meeting someone, uh, in a sales capacity, you're trying to figure out what it is that would make them change their behavior and buy something. Mm -hmm. And so if you can find at least three good reasons other than money, then chances are they will. 
and you frame the sale like that. So when you go back to them, you say, and these are the reasons that make sense for you, and this is what it is, and these are the reasons that make sense. So if you use that three reasons rule throughout your entire life, and we use it to make offers for candidates, we find at least three good reasons why it makes sense for them to take this job. Perhaps you know more responsibility, broadened scope, and they, you know, they get to live in San Francisco, and you know, all those things. And then we present the offer, then we summarize with the three reasons. That will change your life because as you progress your career, you have to sell yourself into the next role. And this is what women fail to recognize and don't really want to think about is um, wherever you go, any, you can ask any successful professional around you, they've probably not been promoted, they've promoted themselves. And that's how it works. And because it works that way, Create value, ask for opportunity, sell it in a way that's meaningful, which means it makes sense for your employer. Mm -hmm. What's in it for them is the three reasons. Come up with three reasons, present it that way, summarize with your free, and if you're talking to your spouse about making a move for a job or negotiating who's doing what in the marriage, you have to do the same thing. Right. Have reasons. at least three really good reasons, <laughs> and you it will change your life. That was my secret of like first year top sales in the whole company. I followed a formulaic thing, and it worked. And now my boss says, I can't believe you did what I told you to do. And I said, why wouldn't someone do that? I mean, you're really successful. I just wanted to, you know, that was your formula. And but it's, it's he's powerful. saying something important. A lot of people yeah. that are young have egos. And it's like, all right, old man, whatever. I'm going to do it my way. Take guidance. Take guidance. That's, that's your important. second. That's yeah. your second pearl of wisdom. Listen to your mentors. Do what they say. They've been successful for a reason. Absolutely. Great advice. Who's that person who's had the most influence in your life? Absolutely, my dad. He passed away last weekend, and next oh, weekend I'll be at his memorial. And he was the you can do anything you set your mind to it sort of guy. And I believed it. And he he would have wanted so much of a better life for himself, but he but he got it for me. So I'm, I'm experiencing living embodiment. I've never met your dad, obviously, but yeah. I'm Thank sorry you. to hear that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he was battling cancer for many years, multiple types. So um, he's out of his pain now, which is yeah. okay. Yeah. Um, but I, I think the book was a tribute to him. So if you read my book, I talk a lot about him. Yeah. Wonderful. That's really that's really special. Every every executive woman, I, I hope she has a really strong, powerful, encouraging father. Yeah. And I see it everywhere around me. Um, this is the coolest thing, that everywhere in industry, someone has an amazing woman I just must meet right now. And every man, they either and it's usually not their daughters. It's some amazing other woman in industry. So make sure that you build your network and you realize that these guys are putting you forward as someone who's really special. You know, it's important. I was listening to uh, Rick Warren talk one time and he said um, in his life, he's pretty successful. Um, he's got a lot of mentors he's accountable to. And he was pointing out that no matter what level you are, the CEO, Fortune 500 of Apple, whatever, it's really important to have mentors that can speak into your life that you can go to for advice no matter what stage you're in. And that was pretty, that was pretty uh, poignant because it's like, here's this guy, very successful, and yet he's humble enough to say, I, I know what I don't know, and there's always more I can learn from people. Growth-minded. Growth-minded, yeah, absolutely. He's fully growth-minded, so I thought that was pretty cool. Um, if you can go back in time and give yourself advice, what would it be? Slow down. <laughs> Enjoy your ride. You're going to get there anyway. And we're all in this together, and a lot of tough stuff will happen. I didn't know. I really was quite naive when it first, but I kept looking around me going, why isn't anything bad happening to me yet? Because it's, it's, there are a lot of challenges happening to all these other people, and then they can all kind of assemble themselves and be your messages. Right, so. right. Is there anything uh, that we haven't covered you'd like to share with the audience? 
Yeah, so I do want to just mention that the California board legislation, women uh, serving on boards um, being mandated, is like as big as us getting the vote or any nature of things with, with executive women. Um, the reality is that men were not intentionally not putting you on the boards. It was just faster, cheaper, and easier to hire their friends, and they weren't taking them out to search. And now that it is mandated that women should serve on public company boards for financial performance, innovation, um, all nature of things get better when you have diversity around the table. Sure. They realize they don't know these people. So, you know, it's it's really groundbreaking. And California is the only state in the country that actually has made put a stake in the ground and said women need to be on every single public company board. Uh, one by the end of 2020. Two by the it's two if you have at least a five person board by the end of 2021, and three if you have a six person board. That is That's unprecedented huge. and huge. Wow. Yeah. So your work's cut out for you. Everything is different. And I guess my last statement would be. Um, everybody wants you. So, you know, just not working is not an option right now. Well, in that case, how can I learn more about you and the Toff Group? Oh, okay. So, um, toffgroup.com is our uh, executive search site. Uh, WeCan.works is how to develop yourself. And my book is available on, it's called We Can, The Women's Executive Guide to Career Advancement, available on Amazon, iTunes, and Audibles. Fantastic. I read it myself. Recorded. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was cool. a great experience. I got very Real motivated. Real radio voice. Very motivated. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Robin, thanks so much for coming on today. It was an incredible journey, story, very inspirational. And boy, your dad's in heaven clapping right now because you've lived a life that any parent would be proud of. So thank you for sharing that journey with us. Thank you, Ben. Appreciate it. Great pleasure. That's it for Beyond. Thanks for uh, tuning in. You can, uh, of course, see Beyond on uh, YouTube, Beyond Ben Bobo, and on our website, beyondbenbobo.com. And remember, until next time, becoming is better than being. Thanks for coming Beautiful. on. Beautiful. Oh, my gosh.